Good morning. Welcome to semester two of In This Together and welcome to another semester full of great chapels and convocations. My name is Madeline Smith-Kaufman. Hi, I'm Emmy Roop. This semester, Madeline and I comprise the ACT subgroup of the student ministry team. Through projects such as Vigils and Greencroft Buddies, our mission is to create spaces in which faith can be actualized through service and social justice. A sacred space that today's speaker, Dr. Melinda Berry, can speak very well of. Social justice is on the mind of many on our campus. Faith is also on the minds of many on our campus. This fall, I began to realize that for me, other than our ACT subgroup, many of the contexts in which I took part in discussions on faith or social justice seemed mutually exclusive. As our student ministry team and ACT subgroup continues to work at the intersection of faith and social justice, we thank you for joining us today to further engage in that conversation. During today's chapel, we will be hearing from Melinda Berry, an assistant professor at AMBS. As we light the peace lamp, let us take a moment to remember to collect, connect the light that is within us to the light that we share with others. So now I invite you all to turn to your neighbors, say peace be with you, and pass the peace to those around. As you return to your seats, if you would take out the purple, sing the story, and turn to number 124, My Soul Cries Out.
As we mentioned previously, our guest speaker this morning is Dr. Melinda Berry. I first heard Dr. Berry preach at a local congregation and next heard her this, speak this fall at a Mennonite Church USA conference entitled Women Doing Theology. I remember taking pages of notes during her presentation as I learned so many new ideas and concepts about theology that I had never heard before. I felt immensely privileged to hear what Melinda had to share during that lecture, and I knew that she could share meaningful ideas and messages for our campus as well. This campus is a familiar one to Melinda as she holds her BA from Goshen College. She also holds a MAPS degree from AMBS and a Master's in Philosophy and PhD from Union Theological Seminary in New York. It's our pleasure to welcome an accomplished professor and theologian this morning. Good morning. It is indeed to, uh, very good to be here. And um, I also appreciate being introduced by Madeline because I don't know if she knows this, but I was here as a student at Goshen College when her parents were too. Um, so, uh, warm greetings to you on this wonderful northern Indiana winter day. Um, it could get better than this. <laughs> Thank you for laughing there. Um, and it's also really good to be here in this space, having sat where you sit for a fair share of chapel um, and convocation presentations. It, I always find that when I step up onto this platform, it's, a little, it's with a little bit of fear and trembling, so, but I trust that you will be a gracious, gracious audience for me this morning. So one of the reasons I decided to accept the invitation that Madeline offered to me um, was because of my own affiliation with Goshen College. I'm part of one of these legacy families that have been central to Goshen College's mission, purpose, constituency, identity, and existence. I don't say that to puff myself up. I say this to be honest and to explain that because of my own sense of identity, mission, and purpose, I've, um, that, that has all been shaped very deeply by this place. And so it's important to me to find ways to stay in touch with this campus and to stay curious about how this spot in Indiana where the leafy maple grows is sometimes accommodating, sometimes adapting to, and sometimes leading social change. So both my parents served on the Goshen College faculty and throughout my growing up years. Um, and then I was a student here in the mid-1990s and I had the good fortune to come back and teach here as a visiting scholar through a collaboration of the Bible, Religion, and Philosophy Department, the Women's Studies Program, and the Multicultural Affairs Office. Now I think at this point in time, women's studies is now women and gender studies, and the Multicultural Affairs Office has been rolled into the Center for Intercultural and International Education. See, change is all around, all the time. More recently, um, I uh, became part of the teaching faculty at Anabaptist Mennonite Biblical Seminary in Elkhart, and I've um, been able to stay in touch with what happens here at Goshen College because I help link AMBS's program um, in peace studies with Mary Lee's sustainability leadership semester. Um, but then I also get invited back from time to time to lecture in different classes here. Most recently, I um, brought a lecture on environmental ethics to a class that Brenda Schroff was teaching on public health. My larger point, though, is that I am glad to have occasions um, to keep tabs on Goshen College, both from a distance and up close. 
And it's amazing to me how much this place has changed, is changing, and, um, and, I, and I wonder at what will be the next manifestation of change here at Goshen College. I would say that the most obvious dimension of change is when I look around at you all, the mosaic of experiences, colors, shapes, sizes, communities of origin. Goshen College didn't look like this when I was a student. So I am here to offer back to you something of what I see when it comes to how Goshen College is changing and how those changes might be reflected on as forms of faith-inspired engagement. There's a spot in Indiana where the leafy maple grows. How many of you know that? Tis our dear and glorious Parkside. <laughs> when I sat where you sit, Goshen College was celebrating its centennial. And um, that's 100 years of Mennonite higher education right here in Elkhart County. I can't tell you how many times we sang that al the alma mater together. Um, here's this leafy, this, or this spot in Indiana where the leafy maple grows. And here's an image of this song, the alma mater. Um, it, had, it had fallen out of regular use, and so the centennial was seen as an opportunity to revive it and get the students singing it again because we didn't know the song. I was complaining about this one day to my mother, who was a Goshen College graduate, and she said, oh, well, we sang that, I think, like at the end of every convocation or something like this. So she knew all of the verses all by heart and started singing them to me immediately. I plugged my ears. Um, but what was interesting to me as I look back, or what is interesting to me as I look back on that experience, is to think about the centrality of music, the centrality of singing to the ethos of Goshen College. Now, when I was here um, as part of the faculty from 2006 to 2009, there were two debates brewing. The first wasn't very formal, maybe because the literary and debate societies, I don't know if Goshen College ever had a debate society, but those societies of old had faded into memory. But that debate was about the practice of singing, especially a cappella um, and accompanied forms of four-part harmonizing. As I thought about it, the central question seemed to be, how hospitable or inhospitable is this practice? The second question, or the second debate that was brewing was around the question, should Goshen College play the US national anthem at sporting events? Is there anyone here who remembers that? I think that became an incredibly painful time here at Goshen College. But again, as I reflect on these two debates, it occurred to me, isn't it interesting that these two debates are about, seem to be about hospitality and a changing student body here at Goshen College. But they were also about music and singing and the kinds of songs Goshen College values and creates. This got me thinking about the fact that the very first time I was a student here was actually when I was in first grade, back in 1980. Like my older brother and my younger sister, 
I was a student in the Goshen College Piano Preparatory Program that had been started in 1966 by Catherine Shearer and John O'Brien, with Marvin Blickenstaff joining them later. After school, my mother would drop me off once a week, and I would toddle on into one of the rooms right over here in the church chapel and sit down with other first graders, and we learned the fundamentals of playing the piano and reading music. It had never occurred to me until I was preparing my presentation to you this morning that I learned how to read music the same time I was learning how to read English. I never thought of the fact that I was becoming bilingual, that music is a kind of language. Eventually, I, in addition to piano, I started playing the cello, the alto recorder, and I was in community choirs here in Goshen, led by Goshen College graduates, and eventually I was trained by J.D. Smooker, another graduate of the Goshen College Music Department, and my um, music teacher at Bethany Christian High School, how to lead congregational singing. J.D. gave us the pitch pipe, we picked up a hymnal, we blew the pitch, and we led the other kids in the choir in one of the songs from the hymnal. And then that started me on a career of congregational song leading when I was 16. I am amazed when I think back on the ways that singing and music making were so deeply woven into what it means to be a Mennonite for me. I was thoroughly and deeply embedded in a Mennonite music-making culture that had more than a little to do with Goshen College. And my embeddedness had everything to do with how I was navigating these two debates that I was talking about. As this new day um, was dawning at Goshen College where we were openly debating whether or not the US national anthem should be played at sporting events, something that would never have been considered generations before. I paid attention to how I was responding to these debates. On the one hand, I was incredibly defensive. I felt that my worldview was under attack by those who wanted to sing the national anthem. And I felt, and, and felt that one, um, one of the ways, that I felt one of the ways I knew how to praise God was rude singing out of this hymnal that I received when I graduated from high school from my local Mennonite congregation. In some ways, people of my generation and culture brandish this hymnal like some people do a Bible. We like to thump it, <laughs> energetically at least, even if that's not what we were literally doing. On the other hand, Having spent time in Costa Rica as an SST-er, I knew what it was like to interact with a culture that didn't share my habits, my rituals, or my language. And as a person of color, I know what it's like to not know if your ways of being are valued by those who shape the dominant culture you're part of. And I had to admit, Goshen College's campus has a dominant culture. It's decidedly different in many ways from the dominant culture of the national context in which we find itself. But I, in this setting, was part of that dominant culture. To paraphrase LA riot victim and survivor Rodney King, 
I wondered, couldn't we all just get along? Many historians have noted that music is a powerful tool. Music can be used to bolster or maintain a status quo, and music can also be used to challenge that status quo. Why? How? It's kind of a mystery. Well, one way we can think about this is that music is so powerful because it helps shape culture and identity. In fact, that's part of the function of something like a national anthem, right? To inculcate citizens with the ideals and values of the nation they are part of. From 2012 to 2015, journalist and political commentator Bill Moyers started interviewing some well-known musicians, asking them to reflect on music's ability to build solidarity. Some of the people he spoke with included Pete Seeger and Bernice Johnson Regan. And along with their pictures up here on the screen, there is a folk singing duo, Joan Baez and Bob Dylan. These are all people who have been part of making music as part of social change. As I continue to reflect on this debate around the national anthem and the inhospitable, inhospitable um, culture that four-part harmonizing can create, I started to think about music making and singing more generally. And I started to think about the civil rights movement and Bernice Johnson Regan. She's part of Sweet Honey and the Rock, or, or was one of the founding members of Sweet Honey and the Rock. And she formed this acapella women's group out of her experience of being a student in the civil rights movement, where music was a key part of how they kept that movement going and sustained their spirits. Then I thought, huh, here I am in my 30s, and it's never occurred to me that Mennonites in the North America aren't the only people who sing a cappella. Good grief, what's wrong with me? So with the scales kind of falling from my eyes, or at least my perspective going from looking down at what was immediately around me to the wider world, I started to wonder how these debates we were having at Goshen College might be different if we stopped to think about singing and making music. I knew the temptation of being defensive around four-part harmonizing and a cappella singing, but I had to admit that I sometimes found it easy to forget that this tradition of four-part harmonizing without accompaniment was actually part of Goshen College's culture because there was a time when musical instruments were forbidden as too worldly. And here, we'd kind of forgotten about that and were again using our way of singing as a way of defining ourselves over and against others and kind of puffing ourselves up a little bit. So then that got me thinking about how this tradition that for some of us was the air we breathed and the water we swam in, 
How could it be made strange? How could it become new? So then that got me thinking about how powerful it is to be forced to share something you have with someone else. When you're forced to share, you have to ask yourself, well, why do I value this? And why am I resisting sharing? And all of these kinds of questions. But the other thing that I've noticed when I've been asked to share something, especially if it's knowledge, that to teach someone how to do something I know and take for granted can be an incredibly humbling experience. So I wonder, what might it mean for the campus community at Goshen College to say music and singing and this tradition we have here is so much part of Goshen College's history that it might be worth teaching everybody who comes here how to read music and how to sing, rather than allowing it to become euphemism. Singing hymns can become euphemism, another way of avoiding talking about the thing itself. How do we crack open these traditions to allow them to become more alive more part of what it means to build community, to share and receive the wisdom of the tradition, even as we add to it something new. So that got me thinking about how four-part harmony is a kind of metaphor for the liberal arts. So I haven't always known how to sing four parts, and I haven't always sung the alto line, and sometimes I even get lost if there isn't someone else singing next to me who can help me learn my part. Education is kind of like that. If we start off with general education courses, this is a way of learning the melody line. And then some of us decide we want to be physics majors, some of us decide we want to be art majors, some of us decide we want to be historians or English majors. That's taking the melody and learning of a, the melody of a discipline and learning how to harmonize, how to make it more complex. So that each of you is here learning the melody. Each of you is here learning how to harmonize. Each of you is here contributing something to the song that Goshen College offers the world. Huh. So I don't own this tradition of singing out of this book in this particular way. It doesn't just belong to me because I'm a Goshen College legacy kid. Coming to Goshen College actually teaches me how to share it with others. Huh. And when I start to share it, I start to realize how much I didn't know about it when I thought I knew everything. These are a few things that singing and social change have taught me about how to reflect on my own tradition, the tradition that I thought I knew everything about. And when I learned to release what I thought I knew about my tradition and receive something else, that prepares me in a different way to 
go out into the world and offer who I am and what I have. Sharing becomes not just a question of hospitality, but a question of being human and being alive. If you want to, you can turn in Hymnal of Worship book to number 548. And I'm going to sing verse 2, and if you'd like to help me, please do. Partly because I think I'm getting beclumped and I'm not sure I can make it through all the way by myself. Help me to show, oh, <clears throat> excuse me, verse two I said. Accept my talents, great or small. This text and this tune were written by some members of the Goshen College teaching faculty in the music department. This song belongs to each of you. I hope, as a campus community of Goshen College, you will receive my challenge to learn to sing this song together. It doesn't just belong to me. And it doesn't just belong to each of you as individuals. It belongs to you together. Thank you so much, Dr. Melinda Berry, for that message. I invite you all to join me in prayer. God, creator, today we come to you kneeled and in need of your strength as we are confronted with injustice in the world and within ourselves. We in this room often fail to use our voices in harmony to combat the systems of oppression that we either fall victim to or participate in ourselves or both. We ask for your help because we can always sing with more strength, compose with more honesty, play with more zeal, and live our lives with more further and love for you. In the end, when we are able to speak up and to sing together, Direct us away from projecting from a place of fear or hatred, but from your love. And as we leave here today, let us start looking for the places of hurt and help us to collaboratively and to consciously find ways to heal them. In your righteous and ever creative name, we pray, amen.
As Melinda re reminded us this morning, music has the power to transform, to welcome, to promote change. Many of us have songs which are connected with transformation, with hospitality, which inspire us. At this time, we would like to engage you all and welcome you to join into this conversation today. In the center circle, we have large posters and markers, and there are prompts on each of the posters. We, would, we invite you to come forward and write down a song or lyrics that are instrumental for you um, personally in the work for social change or that you connect with for inspiration or transformation. The posters will then be hung outside of the chapel wall for all to learn of new music and be inspired. We're also going to be playing a traditional spiritual called Down by the Riverside as you come forward and write down your songs. So we invite you to listen to this song, write down one that's meaningful, you, meaningful for you on our posters, and join us in continuing these conversations on faith and social change outside of these chapel walls. My name is Joanne Gallardo. I am interim campus pastor for this semester, so I want to thank you for coming to the first chapel of the semester. And I would invite us to stand and receive these words of benediction. May the God of singing and of joy and of blessing be with us now and as we go throughout our week and bring us safely back together again for another time of worship. Amen. <laughs>